You're listening to the Ion New York podcast for Wednesday, November 7th, 2018. I'm Robert Harding, the Citizen's Political Reporter, and this podcast is presented by The Citizen. Uh, today, uh, we will focus on the election results in the 24th Congressional District race, and we'll talk a little bit about the 50th Senate District race uh, as well, the State Senate District race, uh, some important uh, results there and some important results statewide. Uh, uh, in regards to the state legislature. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, you might be able to tell that my voice uh, uh, is uh, cracking a little bit. Uh, it's post-election day uh, hangover of sorts. Uh, it was a late night uh, and an early morning. Uh, it, I was up until uh, about 3 a.m. Uh, today uh, after covering the election. I was at work until about 1.45, I think, I left. So uh, it was a long night, uh, even though the election results, I think, came in, it's fair to say, at a uh, at a decent time. Uh, I think that both races were decided. Uh, both of the races I cover, New York 24 and the 50th Senate District, uh, both were decided, I believe, uh, either before or around... Uh, 1130. Um, I know I, I called uh, the New York 24 race, I think, earlier uh, than uh, some were thinking that uh, um, that it would be decided. Uh, there was kind of some chatter, uh, both, part, both uh, sides uh, suggesting uh, that it might be a long night. But uh, in the end, uh, Congressman John Katko winning re-election over Democratic challenger Dana Balter. Uh, and then in the 50th Senate District race, uh, it appears, uh, and certainly uh, I think it, 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 he will be the likely winner, that Onondaga County Comptroller Bob Antonacci, a Republican, has defeated uh, Democratic candidate uh, John Mannion uh, in the 50th District race to succeed State Senator John DeFrancisco, a longtime Republican legislator. Uh, he had been in office since 93, 1993. And uh, Antonacci, uh, barring uh, a vast majority of the absentee ballots going Mannion's way, uh, it appears Antonacci will be the next representative. So we'll talk about uh, that and kind of how the uh, the state legislative picture here in central New York sets up now uh, as we uh, head towards uh, 2019. Uh, I'll also uh, talk a little bit about the future of the podcast at the end, so a bit of an extended episode here, but the idea is to uh, not only recap the elections, but kind of set the tone, too, uh, for what we will do going forward. Uh, but first, wanted to look at the 24th Congressional District race results. Obviously, as I mentioned, uh, Congressman Kako winning re-election uh, by six points, it was a 53 to 47% margin. Uh, if you're looking just squarely at the votes cast for either candidate, uh, Balter certainly impressed. I believe this is the first time, uh, and I would have to double check this, but I believe this is true. Uh, the first time in Kako's three runs for Congress that he's lost a county. Uh, at least so far, Balter is ahead in Onondaga County. Uh, mainly because of her uh, performance in the city of Syracuse. Uh, performed very well there, uh, and uh, 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 certainly uh, that boosted her campaign and really is the big reason why she was able to compete uh, in this race. Because if you look at the results outside of Onondaga County, uh, certainly went 
uh, it was one-sided uh, for CACO. Uh, in fact, the margins in each of the three counties, 22 points, 61 to 39%. Uh, just a, a huge advantage for him uh, in this race. And it's really interesting because if you look back in 2012, when uh, Dan Maffei was on the ballot, he was challenging Amory Burkle, uh, the incumbent congresswoman at the time. Uh, and of course, that year was a little bit different because there was a Green Party candidate on the ballot, uh, Ursula Rosen. Uh, but still, uh, despite that, uh, you look at how Maffei performed, especially in Cuga and Oswego counties, and he performed quite well. Uh, in those two counties. Since then, uh, a Democrat has not been able to replicate uh, that performance, uh, and in a lot of ways it's gotten worse, uh, which is interesting. Uh, the uh, In Cayuga County, uh, which, uh, you know, being someone on the ground here, uh, Democrats have a strong local infrastructure. Uh, in the city of Auburn, uh, Democrats control uh, the, the there's a Democratic mayor, but Democrats control all of the seats on the city council. And then you look at the county legislature, and Democrats hold a majority of the seats. So they've had success at the local level, but uh, that hasn't translated to some of these upper-level seats, uh, and especially uh, true with the race for Congress. Uh, the fact that Balter lost here by 22 points uh, was a little surprising. Um, you know, she, I think it's fair to say, you know, Auburn being the second largest city, uh, she, and I should be clear, she lost Cuyahoga County by 22 points, not Auburn, uh, although she did lose uh, Auburn narrowly to CACO. Uh, but uh, it is a little surprising because uh, she did have a, a strong base of support in Cayuga County, uh, and I think that's fair to say in some of the other counties too. Wayne has long been a struggle. I mean, this goes back even to the years when uh, uh, the county was part of what was then the 25th Congressional District uh, back between uh, 2003 and 2012. Um, it, it's, you know, Wayne, uh, the enrollment there uh, goes for Republicans and uh you know it's been uh, it's been a tough task for democrats to 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 win there and so with uh uh with that they usually focus on some other areas and Cayuga county is kind of ripe for the picking um here's a county that enrollment is uh somewhat balanced here uh, not a huge advantage uh you know i believe it leans a republican not a huge advantage for the GOP. A lot of that is due to Auburn, uh, but the you know there's also some other pockets uh, where Democrats have uh, some advantages. Um, but uh, again, it hasn't translated to any of the to the higher offices, uh, and and Congress being uh, the prime example of that. And CACA has been able to win Cuga County. I believe he's won it. Uh, uh, each of the three elections that he's been on the ballot. Uh, and, you know, this one, no exception, winning by 22 points here. Uh, and, you know, the same is true with Oswego County. A uh, huge win there for him uh, by by a wide margin. 
and uh, you know he is focused on uh, Oswego a lot, whether it's the Port of Oswego, uh, the Fort Ontario. Uh, so he had some things going uh, in his favor to be sure. Uh, but again, you know, Balter did have some level of support in all these places, uh, but it just didn't translate uh, at the polls uh, for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, you know, it could come down to priorities, uh, uh, you know, in terms of strategy. But um, the bottom line is that uh, uh, Kako uh, won the, the 24th district race. Uh, I did write a piece uh, kind of analyzing the results uh, so I won't rehash too many of them, but I, I, I do think that, you know, the rural counties, uh, the strengths there, I should say the more rural counties, because there's certainly pockets of, uh, uh, you know, kind of an urban-suburban feel, uh, certainly with Auburn here in uh, in Cuga County, and then Fulton and Oswego in Oswego County. Uh, the more rural counties uh, went for Caco, so that helped him. Uh, but even... Even with the turnout uh, that uh, you know was uh, quite high. In fact, I looked this up, and you know I have the data dating back to the '80s, which I believe is when um, Onondaga County uh, became part. Uh, it was all of Cuga County, or all of Onondaga County, was in one congressional district, uh, and that's remained the case for the last nearly 40 years. But since then, uh, there have never been, there's never been more uh, votes cast in a midterm election than we saw last night. Um, and, uh, you know, there were comparisons to the presidential election. Uh, that might be true to some degree. You know, I, I would have to look at the presidential election data. But in terms of midterm elections, uh, at least within the last 40 years, uh, th this midterm election uh, the, drew the most turnout. Uh, the only one that you could compare it to really was 2006. I believe there were 217,000, give or take, uh, votes cast for uh, Jim Walsh, the, the congressman at the time, and Democratic challenger Dan Maffei. Uh, so, uh, so in that race, there was uh, uh, certainly a lot of interest. And you look back then, uh, that's when uh, Democrats took back the House uh, in uh, in 2006 and, uh, uh, they, they were out of power for a while. At that point, it would have been 12 years, I believe, if my math is correct, uh, after losing in 94. Uh, so they, they reclaimed the house in 2006, uh, New York 25, as it was known at the time was a, was a target. Uh, Maffei was a well-funded challenger, uh, came up a little short, uh, against Jim Walsh, who of course at that time was a long-term long-time incumbent. Uh, the difference then, though, is that after that election, you know, come as, as they head towards the 2008 presidential election year, uh, Walsh, realizing that he was uh, vulnerable or, you know, he just decided to, to bow out of politics at that point. He retired before the 20, uh, 2008 election. Uh, Maffei came back and, of course, won that seat. But um, that was the midterm election up until yesterday uh, that drew the most turnout, uh, at least within the last four decades. Uh, but this election blew that one out of the water uh, in terms of turnout. You're talking that Balter received, uh, and I'm pulling up the spreadsheet as we speak here, but she received 
uh, over 114,000 votes uh, in the 24th district race, the exact number being 114,102. And I went through last night to see how many elections, midterm elections, she would have been able to win with that total, uh, again, within these last four decades. And uh, just looking at it, she would have been able to win in 1982 when the winner had 95,290. That was George Wortley at the time. Uh, She would have won in 86. She would have won in 1990. Again, the winners didn't even crack 100,000 those years. Uh, She would have won in 94. Uh, Jim Walsh had 113,949. And that's after the absentees. Uh, with uh, uh, with Balter's total right now, that's not including, uh, you know, there were about 12, little over 12,000, more than 12,000 absentee ballots as of Monday that were submitted in New York 24. So let's say she gets half of those or even just 47%, you know, we're approaching 120,000 territory uh, in terms of the votes that Balter received. Uh, she would have uh, she would have come up short in 1998. Walsh received 121,204. Of course, after the absentee ballots are counted, who knows? Maybe she would have topped that total. Uh, she wouldn't have won in 2002, uh, but she would have won in 06, 2010, uh, but would have come up short in 2014. So she would have won most of the midterm elections with that total uh, over the past four decades. Uh, and so... Yeah, even in defeat, uh, that shows you uh, how much support her campaign received. Now, just as impressive, uh, Congressman Kako's performance, he'll end up with, after the absentee ballots are counted, uh, with over 130,000 votes. As of right now, uh, he has 129,276. That's just from the election night tally. Uh, so he'll exceed 130,000. And it's the most votes a... Uh, a candidate has received in a midterm election since Jim Walsh back in 02. Uh, Walsh received uh, 144,610 votes that year, uh, and it'll go down uh, within the, again within the last uh, 40 years. Caco uh, receiving the second most votes uh, in a midterm election, uh, so it just shows yes, Balter had tremendous turnout, uh, but Caco. Uh, his ground game uh, definitely should not be overlooked uh, in all this. Um, you know, there certainly was a level of an ex- excitement there, you know, from the from the Democratic constituency, you know, for Balter. Uh, but you look at uh, what Kaka was able to do, uh, and he was successful uh, in getting, uh, getting his vote out there. Uh, you know, the Republicans tend to get overlooked in that regard. But uh, certainly with CatCo and the campaign infrastructure he's built up, uh, it's been one of the biggest assets to him. And I remember this uh, back in 2014 that um, you know he wasn't reliant on money. Uh, he uh, he didn't out raise uh, Dan Maffei that year, uh, and um, you know he was he was out raised, out spent. Uh, he did certainly there were outside groups that got involved. Uh, uh, to target that race, uh, which which helped, but still, you know, his uh, the, the key uh, p- the key point for him was that he was able to build up a campaign infrastructure, uh, mobilize voters, uh, and and turn out those voters, 
uh, especially in Onondaga County, which uh, had been uh, an important stronghold for for Democrats. Certainly, Maffei, uh, whenever uh, he's been successful, uh, or at least in some of the tight races, uh, he was still able to win Onondaga County. Uh, that hasn't uh, been the case with with Kako. He's uh, had a lot of success in Onondaga County. Even now, um, you know, maybe Onondaga County will still go his way. Balter uh, leads there uh, by by a, a narrow margin. But um, even even on a night when he may have lost Onondaga County, uh, it certainly was close. And uh, he he performed well there, especially in the the rural areas of the county. You know, the outer edges and then uh, many of the towns uh, he lost in the city but uh, uh, you look at how well he did in the suburbs and the rural areas and it uh, uh, in the end it really canceled out um, the uh, the performance uh, for, from Balter uh, in the city um, there have been there was a there was a take on Twitter this morning uh, I think it was this morning that I saw and I can't remember who wrote it uh, but they you know in looking at the race, uh, they were kind of cr- criticizing Stephanie Miner, former Syracuse mayor, for passing on the congressional race, running for governor. She ran on the Serve America movement line, um, ended up getting more than 50,000 votes. So the, the uh, Serve America movement uh, will get automatic ballot status going forward. Uh, but with uh, with Miner, the, the critique is, well, she ran this uh, lost cause uh, campaign for governor. You know, she knew that she didn't, she wasn't going to win, uh, and she passed on a congressional race that she could have won. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but uh, it's it's different now that uh, you know we've seen the general election results, we've seen uh, Balter's performance, and you know there's uh, you know in Democratic circles there might be some critiques. Of how it was handled and who should have run and who shouldn't have run, but you know, I, with respect to Minor, um, I, I just looking at the the landscape here, you know, yes, Minor would have had name recognition, which is something that I think Balter for a long time, it's it's fair to say, uh, struggled with at least in the uh, among the general election electorate, um, but at the same time, they're they're are many more things that uh, Republicans could have targeted minor for uh, in ads and other things that you know maybe uh, maybe minor does run, but does she do as well as Balter did? You know, would she have outperformed that, or would she have done worse? Um, I'm not going to uh, answer that question, uh, but I think uh, it overlooks the fact that uh, Balter did have her strengths as a candidate. She was able to mobilize, especially uh, among progressives uh, in central New York. Uh, many of them supported her campaign. That was a big driving force for her. Um, really, it came down to the the structure outside of of the city and, and parts of Onondaga County. Uh, it just didn't seem as strong, uh, especially when you look at the results, that uh, losing Cuga County by an equal margin as Wayne County I mean that's um, just given the enrollment difference is quite something it's significant for CACO. Uh, makes a huge difference, and in a race like this, you look at it and say, well, Onondaga County—that's a vast majority of the enrollments there. Uh, that's really where the difference is made. Made, but 
you know, what it comes down to is 15,000 votes. And just in Cayuga County alone, Balter lost by more than 5,000. So uh, you're talking a, a significant chunk there that you lost, uh, that Balter lost, and uh, in one county that, again, doesn't have the same enrollment gap as, as Wayne County. Uh, so that was uh, certainly a blow to her chances. But, um, you know, in terms of Balter as a candidate, you go, you know, one of the things I tweeted last night is that, you know, Democrats should be asking themselves what, uh, what might have been if Balter, instead of having to run in a primary, what if she was able to raise money as the solo candidate in the New York 24 race, solo Democratic candidate, from April April 1st uh, through June 30th. No primary, she's just raising for the general election. What do, Would she have raised a million and a half or uh, at least some high amount, maybe in the high six figures? Uh, certainly we saw Democratic challengers uh, raise similar sums over time. But in that situation, would she have uh, been able to raise that money and then send a message to national Democrats that, hey, I'm a well-funded challenger, uh, I've got uh, progressive groups behind me, we have this vote, voter mobilization effort, um, you know, get behind us, we can win this race. Um, you know, because CACO, CACO's, CACO was and is a strong incumbent, uh, you know, he's made it, you know, his, he's repeated it, he repeated it throughout the campaign, you know, I've been a bipartisan guy, you know, and, and certainly Democrats, you know, had their issues with that and, and raised questions about it, but th- those are the types of messages that a lot, especially in this district, you know, this isn't a Trump-loving district um, uh, as a whole, but, uh, you know, certainly, you know, there, there's definitely a moderate element to it. John Kasich uh, uh, certainly did well here. Uh, and uh, uh, during the 2016 presidential primary, uh, Jim Walsh was a mo- more moderate representative, uh, and CACOs tried to follow that example. And, uh, you know, those types of themes are effective, and they're tough to run against, especially when you're a more progressive candidate or even, you know, to the other extreme, a more conservative candidate, uh, as we saw with uh, Anne-Marie Burkle uh, six years ago when she ran for re-election in this district uh, and lost by uh, just about the same margin uh, that we're talking about here with Balter uh, to, to CACO when Maffei was running more as kind of a moderate, middle-of-the-road, you know, independent guy. Uh, so I think the big takeaway uh, with Balter is that uh, is that what might have been factor if she was able to run solo, no primary challenge from April to late June, what could she have done done in that time that would have allowed her to send a message to national Democrats that hey, make this race a priority, we can go after CACO now, and we can possibly win because if you look at how things shaked out. And, uh, you know, I, I did question the Siena polling uh, in late October because the, the facts at the time, and it was true, uh, everyone was treating this as a single-digit race, that it was a close race. And as we saw 
with the results, that's accurate. Um, if you're looking at it from a, a point standpoint, it's a six-point race uh, that it came down to. And really, I think it's fair to say that became a six-point race uh, within the last month. And so, and it, and it really, uh, within the last uh, even five, maybe five, six weeks. And I say that uh, because, of course, the timing of it, if you go back to early October, that's when Balter announced that she had raised more than $1.5 million, and bam, everyone's interested in this race now. Cook Political Report came out that week and moved the race rating from likely Republican to lean Republican. Uh, and then later on, once the financial filings came out and it was clear that Balter had raised a million dollars more than CatGo, uh, other people got on board too. And then you had this poll that came out and said, oh, CatGo's up by 14, it's not close. Uh, and it just didn't make sense. Uh, the uh, based on what we knew at the time, that uh, not only uh, was there more interest in the race, you know, Balter had raised this money, uh, outside groups got involved, uh, and then, you know, some imper- internal polling that had been done by both parties, and, you know, I was told this by uh, folks on both sides of the aisle, uh, they agreed. The polling showed the same thing. Uh, the internal polling on both sides showed the same thing, that it was a, a, a single-digit race, uh, that it wasn't a double-digit race, uh, and that this would be, uh, I think it's fair to say, CACO's toughest re-election bid. Um, so to go back, the, the poll, the first Siena poll that was released in late August showed that CACO was up 15 points. And I really have no reason to question that poll because at the time, uh, Balter, um, while she had run in the primary and had some ads there, uh, she had, I believe she had released uh, some TV ads, uh, you know, uh, it, it seems like so long ago, uh, she had released some TV ads uh, up to that point, but not many people were paying attention. Uh, this was before Labor Day, you know, the, the thinking is that uh, it's not until after Labor Day that people are really paying attention. So at that point, she was down... Uh, 15, and that's after running in a primary where she had to exhaust those resources and then replenish them for uh, for the general election. So, uh, you know, with um, with that, uh, you know, I think it, it's pretty clear that if she had been able to run uh, without that primary challenge, could she have raised that money? Uh, spent the summer raising her own profile with the support of National Democrats instead of uh, really later on in the game uh, after raising that money on her own and really doing things on her own and then later in later in the campaign within the last few weeks the you know the democratic groups got involved uh, and invested heavily and you know we saw we saw the result uh, she came up short um, but uh, I think the whole, you know, the, the there's a stuff that goes back to to minor and, uh, you know, whether she would have been an effective candidate. Um, Balter certainly showed that she could make the race competitive. She got her voters out, uh, but again, Kako Kako's a strong incumbent, and uh, he showed why uh, Tuesday night. Uh, I did want to get in some chatter about the 50th Senate District. Of course, Bob Antonacci uh, is the apparent winner. Uh, over Democratic candidate John Mannion. 
uh, Antonacci uh, with the edge. In Onondaga County, uh, he received 53,450 votes there to Mannion's 51,751. Antonacci won Cayuga County by more than 1,100 votes. Uh, The overall tally, uh, Antonacci 51% to Mannion's 49%. There are uh, 6,500-plus absentee ballots. There's likely maybe a little more than that now. Uh, That number's as of Monday. Uh, in the 50th Senate District, so uh, uh, so it, it appears that Antonacci is one. And I did talk to him last night uh, because uh, certainly the landscape is is uh, different in Albany. Uh, Democrats, of course, uh, you know, retain control of the state assembly. No surprise there. Uh, they ha- they have a large majority in that chamber, but uh, Democrats, for the first time since 2010, have now won the majority. Uh, majority control in the state Senate, uh, and they could end up with as many as 39 seats uh, at the end of it. There's a couple uh, couple races outstanding uh, that we're waiting on, but it appears that the split in the 63-seat chamber will be uh, 39 on the Democratic side and 24 on the Republican side. Uh, so that'll be challenging for uh, especially an incumbent, or excuse me, a newcomer, uh, in Antonacci's case, and so I talked to him about uh, kind of how things are uh, shaping up here, and he, you know, he mentioned a, a desire to work with uh, Democrats uh, while also, you know, staying true to his beliefs and and fighting for Central New York. Uh, believes that that needs to be the priority, uh, but does want to work on issues of of mutual interest too. So. Uh, certainly will have his work cut out for him, but uh, a big night for him uh, being able to succeed uh, State Senator John D. Francisco, uh, who endorsed him uh, during the race. I think that was uh, certainly important for Antonacci to have that support from someone who uh, had represented this district for a quarter century, uh, who hadn't faced a major party opponent in eight years uh, and even then, uh, won re-election uh, by a wide margin, and so uh, he he was popular. Uh, even though, you know, certainly uh, he in a district that, uh, in terms of enrollment, is pretty even. Uh, De Francisco, uh, you know, was a, a fairly conservative guy. Uh, it's fair to say and he was outspoken, but I think that's what people uh, liked about him. I know that there's people uh, here in Auburn, uh, even you know, among some Democrats who. You know, they may disagree with him on, you know, certain policy stances or whatever, but they believe that DeFrancisco uh, stood up for them, uh, and that's why they liked him so much. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Antonacci uh, really wants to embrace that, uh, you know, kind of embrace that um, uh, that blueprint, uh, so to speak. Uh, he, you know, he wants to uh, speak out for Central New York and um, uh, and be an advocate uh, in the mold of uh, John D. Francisco, and 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 fill those. Uh, he knows that he has big shoes to fill, but uh, and he wants to fill that role. And uh, it looks like, barring uh, again a vast majority of the absentees going John Mannion's way, uh, it'll look like Antonacci uh, is the 50th district representative at least for the next two years. Uh, so a big win for him. Um, uh, certainly a strong showing in Onondaga County, a strong showing in Cayuga County. Uh, he spent some time out here. I sat down with him for an interview on Sunday, uh, as a matter of fact, and he had just uh, 
uh, gone around uh, campaigning with uh, Brian Skank, who's the uh, Cuga County Sheriff, the newly elected Cuga County Sheriff after last night. He'll be succeeding uh, Dave Gould, who's uh, uh, stepping down at the end of the year. Uh, so, uh, so again, big win for Antonacci, uh, and a big win for Republicans, quite frankly, given the, um, given how the, uh, the change was in uh, many of these races. They lost some seats on Long Island. Uh, they lost, uh, I know that they lost a seat in, uh, at least one in New York City. They lost some other seats, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in upstate, but, um, uh, this one, uh, the 50th district race, uh, 50th district seat rather, uh, stays in Republican hands. Uh, so uh, even on a bad night for Republicans, uh, kind of a uh, moral victory of sorts that they were able to uh, keep this seat, uh, which was held by one of their most powerful members, uh, De Francisco, of course, uh, the number two uh, in the state Senate uh, for now. He'll obviously not be in that role anymore. Uh, come January uh, with his retirement, but um, uh, important uh, for the GOP uh, to keep that seat uh, in in their control. Uh, I'll conclude with this. Uh, you know, you might be wondering uh, if if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, uh, what now? And my plan is to uh, to turn it into a weekly show. Uh, I haven't decided on a day yet. Uh, I'll do that. Uh, after after a few days off here, uh, but um, uh, my plan is to uh, resume next week, uh, make it a weekly show. I'll, uh, my 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 early idea is that uh, it'll it'll be posted Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday midweek. Uh, that might be when it's best to draw interest uh, and uh, and go from there and and kind of pick up on that weekly um, uh, kind of midweek traffic. So. Uh, that's the idea going forward is to make it a weekly show, uh, have it more interview focused. I'll certainly inject some analysis and uh, some reporting into it as well. But um, uh, the idea going forward, at least for now uh, and f- probably through next year, is to turn into a weekly show with the exception of you know if there's big developments, uh, big news items, whether at the state level or the federal level. Uh, certainly, uh, I'll take some time to, to record a podcast then, or if there's special interviews to do, uh, we can do that as well. But um, uh, at least for now, just making it a weekly show, kind of slowing things down a little bit, uh, you know, focusing on getting more interviews and and things to, um, uh, to fill the time and uh, going from there. And then, you know, come 2020, uh, the, there'll be races on the ballot, I suspect, uh, many of the same races that we saw uh, generate a lot of interest uh, this year will generate the same level, if not more, interest uh, in two years. And of course, uh, there's also that presidential election on the ballot. And I would suspect, uh, especially in the Democratic primary, uh, that we'll see New York play a big role uh, in picking uh, who is the Democratic nominee for president to take on another New Yorker, uh, Donald Trump, uh, in that election. Uh, so uh, I want to thank uh, uh, Pete. I want to thank everybody who listened. I've heard from so many of you uh, who listen uh, that you think the podcast is great, and that's humbling. And uh, I appreciate you listening. Uh, even heard from some candidates who listened at least from time to time. Ron 
a somewhat regular basis. Uh, so that's flattering as well that uh, that that they uh, would want to listen to what I have to say, and and maybe they disagreed with with some of it, but. Um, uh, that's one of the reasons I I do it is to to inform and uh, uh, kind of lay the issues out there and uh, make everybody, uh, or at least make the listeners anyway, uh, make up their own minds about uh, how how things stand uh, based on the facts reported. Uh, but uh, appreciative of everyone who's listened to the podcast and like I said, we'll keep it going. It won't be an everyday thing or even uh, uh, multiple times a week. We'll turn it into a weekly show for now. Uh, and the foreseeable future, but like I said, uh, 2020 uh, is not so far away, and uh, uh, it uh, certainly may warrant, uh, come January 2020, uh, to shift back to uh, a more uh, frequent schedule. But uh, can't say enough about all of you who have listened and provided feedback. Uh, It's much appreciated. Uh, Thanks so much for listening during the election season. Uh, And thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I'll talk to you next week.